What does September mean to you? How do you handle times of transition? Welcome to episode 260 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Shana, Tim, Ann, and Lucy. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Shana, Tim, Ann, and Lucy for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I want to open with a reading from the book, Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. This is from page 102. Grief is not an orderly process. It is not logical, has no rules, and disrupts our lives. While in the throes of grief, we may have a hard time imagining that we could feel any differently than we do at this moment. We might feel a certain devotion to our sadness, believing it to be a demonstration of our love. Based on this belief, we may struggle with allowing ourselves to feel happy. There are some losses we will never get over. We can trust that the Al-Anon principles are still at work in us, even if we don't feel that we have the strength to practice them. It can help to remind ourselves that just as our recovery is a process, so too is our grief. We don't have to do it perfectly, nor do we have to handle all our feelings perfectly. The safe haven of our fellowship gives us the courage to face our feelings and to express our grief as we are ready. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we take an important step toward easing our pain. Likewise, when we take the risk to open up, we give hope to others who might be struggling with their own unspoken grief. The simple yet courageous act of sharing our story can help others in ways we may never know. I've been thinking about September. I guess it started with my wife commenting as we walked to the car. This is the first sweater day. She had that tone of voice like it was the worst thing that could happen. But then she said, I can be grateful that there's a whole season yet to enjoy before winter. And that's the thing about September. You know, it's it's the end of summer, at least here in Michigan, and it's the beginning of fall. And sure, we'll have some more hot days, but we know it's trending cooler until midwinter. And for children and many others, it's the end of summer vacation, but it's also the beginning of a new school year, a new academic year. September is a time of transition. It's a time of saying goodbye and a time of saying hello. The weather is getting colder and the trees will start turning beautiful colors. The sultry heat of summer will give way to brisk days with bright blue skies. And, as it's doing this morning, cold rain. For many of us, it's a time to regroup, a time to put away our summer things, our summer clothes, our summer lethargy. It's a time to get the sweaters out of the closet time to get the snowblower out and make sure it works. At my church, it's a time we celebrate coming back together for another year. I will greet a new room full of 7th grade youth as we begin our journey of discovery and learning together next week. It is the beginning of the new year in the Jewish calendar. This year, 2018 on the common calendar, it's September 10th to 11th, and it's the start of the year 5779 on the Hebrew calendar. This year, September also marks a transition in the health and the lives of my parents, in the way I perceive their health and their life, and the way I will be interacting with them in the future. The first weekend of September, I drove 
to where my parents live, so that I could be with them for a few days. My mother's in rehab with a broken leg that she suffered in a fall a couple of weeks earlier. I've heard that stressful situations can worsen dementia, which both my parents have to some degree. This certainly seemed to be true for them, or else I just hadn't really seen the extent of their dementia in our visit earlier in the summer. They both seemed confused about what had happened and about what was happening. My mother, most of the time, did not understand why she couldn't just go home, and she wanted to go home. We had to explain repeatedly that she was in the rehab facility to get better, and that she needed to stay there until she had healed enough to go home. She seemed to understand for a little while, and then it was gone again. My parents have been married for 66 years and have rarely been apart for more than a few days, have rarely slept apart. Being separated is hard for them. My mother wanted to come home. My father wanted to stay. Neither of them could have their wish, and we had to explain that to them. Seeing their confusion and their unhappiness is hard for me. Not being able to fix it is hard for me. Sometimes not knowing even what to say or to do is hard. Which is not to say that it's all bad. She's recovering. She's regaining strength and improving in her ability to stand up, to walk a couple of steps with the help of a therapist and a walker. We had some pleasant time visiting, looking at old photographs, identifying the people in them. I brought an old photo album to her room one day. It had tiny black and white photos. They were about, I don't know, two and a half or three inches the long way. And she looked at the very first one, which it showed some sort of public event, and I didn't know what it was. And she said, that's Mrs. Roosevelt. It's the White House egg hunt. She had been there and may, in fact, have taken the photo herself. We don't know exactly what year it was taken, but it had to be sometime in the late 30s or early 40s, given you know, her age at the time and the fact that Roosevelt was president. There were photos of her and her brother with their parents, including a photo of her as a teenage girl posing in her bathing suit on the beach. She was a beauty. We marveled over that photo for a while. It's a time of transition for them and for us. This was a sharp, really sharp awakening to the realities of, of their life as they're in their late 80s. My father's 89, my mother's 87. Visiting their home, working to make it ready for her to come home possibly in a wheelchair, also opened our eyes to how much they've been struggling to just live normally. We cleaned and we cleaned. We washed loads and loads of clothes. We moved furniture and other obstacles to make a clear path between their bedroom, bathroom, and living slash dining room. It is clear that they needed help, but they hadn't asked for it. It's hard to ask for help sometimes, you know, and when you've been living independently for so many years, I think it's even harder. If you don't have the practice, we, their children, must now step up and start really being their parents so that they can enjoy the remainder of their life as best they can. September is a month of transition for me today. And with change, with transition, comes a measure of grief for the days gone by, for the things that we no longer have, the experiences that will not be repeated the abilities that are lost. As I enter, perhaps, the autumn of my life, my parents are clearly in the winter of theirs, and I am grieving for the things that are no longer there, that are no longer true. My parents are no longer the rocks that they always were. They are no longer people to whom I can turn for support. Instead, I must now be a rock supporting them. 
The Al-Anon book, Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses, talks about grief and about living and dealing with grief, as in the reading that I opened the episode with. And I've been, I've been reading this book recently, and it's helpful, because it also talks about how I can use the tools and the principles of the program to help move through that grief into my new life, through this transition. So what are some of these tools that I either already knew or maybe rediscovered reading the book? Well, there's our slogans. One day at a time. I had to live our experience visiting my parents one day at a time. I had to live it sometimes an hour at a time. I didn't know what was happening in the next few minutes sometimes. And I just had to be there and and go with what was happening. The interesting thing is that my parents are much more in the moment, which I guess can be a good thing, but also because they don't remember from moment to moment sometimes is also a hard thing. But living in the moment, not dwelling on yesterday, not regretting yesterday, not fearing tomorrow, is really important for me to be able to function in that, in that situation, in that sort of situation. A quote from the book, When we're feeling overwhelmed, we can take a moment to slow down our thoughts and bring ourselves back to the present. And you can believe that there were many times in the last weekend, the long holiday weekend, and I put that term holiday in quotes because it really wasn't much of a holiday for us, meant I could be there for three full days. And there were times that I was really feeling overwhelmed and asking myself, what's the next thing to do? What First things first, what's the first thing I have to do right now? You know, And that might be sit with my mother. That might be get my father into the car so we can go visit. That might be ask one of the aides for ginger ale for my mother at, at mealtime. Whatever it was, it was something I could do right then and, and not have to feel like this whole situation is too big for me to, to fix, which it is too big for me to, to deal with, which it's not, because I can do it one thing at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Another slogan, let go and let God, really important at this point, because I am sure as heck not in control of what's happening. There's no question that I am not in control of what's happening right now, and that I can't be in control of what's happening. I have to trust that their higher power will put the people in their lives and the experience in their lives that they need in order to recover from this, um, you know, this injury, this, I mean, it is an injury, it's literally an injury, but it's also an emotional injury. Keep it simple is another one. With people who have dementia, I have, I, I found over and over that keeping it as simple as possible is really helpful. Because if I even try to present two alternatives sometimes, they don't know. I would say, would you like a burger or fish for dinner? Blank stare. Would you like fish for dinner? Yes, I would like fish. That would be good. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Really helpful there. And easy does it. Don't push. Don't stress. It says slow down and be gentle with ourselves. So slogans, even if I don't remember exactly the slogan, you know, I've been, I guess I've been around enough that some of the the principles, the actions that, that the slogans hold are more 
second nature than they used to be. It's good. The serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept that I cannot change this. Grant me the courage to do the things that I need to do right now. One of the tasks that we had as we were visiting was to, as I said, to help clean the house, to prepare it for her to come home. I was talking to a friend at church before we went, and I was talking about the need to make the house accessible. I, I said there, there are lots of you know, sort of narrow passageways, and she said, and obstacles, which I had been thinking, how do I say piles of stuff without making it sound horrible? She said obstacles, and I'm like, yeah, obstacles. We were cleaning, we were removing obstacles, moving obstacles, moving furniture, making making the space bigger. And it's actually kind of amazing how much bigger the space got when we took away some obstacles and moved them to places where they were at least less in the way. Cleaning, we had not realized how much they're, they're slowing down. Um, I think to, to some extent their dementia had prevented them from being able to keep the house clean. There were dirty clothes piled everywhere. My brother had said he would ask, are these clothes clean? And the answer would always be, I don't know. So we assumed that anything that wasn't hanging up or folded in a drawer was dirty. We ran so many loads of laundry that we actually ran the well dry, which is a hazard there, but it had been a reasonably damp summer and we didn't think it would be a problem. Yeah, lots and lots of cleaning. And that's that's emotionally hard for me to see that my parents had been living in such mess, in, in such dirt, you know, mouse turds in the drawers. It's, it's hard. And realizing that, you know, they really had lost the ability to care for themselves properly. They really do need help. That's going to be a challenge for us. You know, getting them to ask for help, to maybe hire somebody to come in and clean a couple times a month. I don't know what it takes. Because they've never done that. Never. You know, I'm used to that. We've had somebody coming in to clean, at least since our kids were born, when we discovered that we did not have the energy to keep the house as clean as we wanted just in the moment when we had introduced two new chaos makers into the house. They never did that. It's going to be new for them, and things that are new are really hard when you're old, when you have that dementia. So the courage to go in into their private part of their life, and they've been fairly private people and have never felt really comfortable prying into their life, and now we have to. The courage to do that. The wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, that serenity prayer, that's a big one. Not isolating. The book says going to meetings. We made it to a meeting on Monday while we were there. It was a good meeting. And you'll talk about that a little bit more later. The book also talks about our feelings, what feelings we have as we're moving through this grief process. Anger and denial. I denied the reality of their situation for a long time. You know, I only visited for a few days at a time, maybe twice a year. And so I didn't have to to see where their life was, how they were living, how they were acting for very long. And the rest of the time I could kind of forget, deny that that they really were getting a lot worse. And my brother and sister, my brother lives with them, my sister lives nearby, would say, we're really worried about this. And I would say, yeah, okay, 
Okay, denial. And anger. You know, why? Another section of the book is titled, Why Me? I'm a, my question is, why them? And why, why both of them? Why are they both suffering this disease? My mother had feared dementia for, I would say, the last 30 years of her life because her mother suffered it. And she didn't want to, and there she is. And I don't know if she even remembers that anymore, but I remember that. And, you know, why did that? Why? 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 And my father, I mean, as far as I know, nobody else in his family had that problem. And maybe they just didn't live long enough. I don't know. Why? I'm really mad at at the world. And accepting that, you know, this is what it is. But the anger's there, and I need to say it. I need to not stuff it. I need to not isolate it. And then there's numbness. I could give up. I could say, this is too big. I'm not going to feel it. I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and, you know, not engage. That actually doesn't feel good, but, but it happened a couple of times. I was just like, I just need to go lie down. I can't deal right now. And, you know, grateful that other people were there so they could go lie down. I could pretend I was taking a nap so they wouldn't say, hey, Spencer, come, come help with this. Yeah, it happened. Regret and guilt. I feel like there must have been something. Something I could have done sooner. Something I could have done so that it didn't get as bad as it got. The book talks about regret and guilt. Regret, it says, is wanting wanting the past to be different. Wishing the past could be different. And guilt is feeling like there should have been something. There was something I could have done. I don't know what it was. But there must have been something I could have done that that would have made things different, that would have made things better. When my mother's back started curving when she was 70, we suggested to her she should do something about it. And she said, oh, no, it's fine. And we didn't insist. And sometimes I get this feeling like we should have. We should have made her go to the doctor. But I think she did go to the doctor. I think she went to therapy. I think they gave her things to do, and she didn't do them. And you know, that's not on me. I am not in control. She is her own person. You know, step one tells me that I am not in control of her. I can try. I can encourage. But I'm not in control. I can't make her do something that she doesn't think she needs to do, that she doesn't want to do. It's what it is. Recognizing that powerlessness, recognizing that I am not her higher power, um, can help me to work through those feelings of, of guilt to work through the regret at, at not having done what, what I don't know, not having been there more often. It's a full day's drive to get there. I, I go when I can. Could I have gone more? Maybe so. Should I go more now? Maybe so. Yeah, avoid future regrets, huh? I want to close with another paragraph from Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. This is from page 104. Our lives will never be the same after our loved one's death, nor should they be. Moving forward does not mean we forget about our loved one or that we have finished grieving. Though moving on may seem unlikely for us, we have seen it happen for others. Fortunately, our higher power's plan for us does not depend entirely on our agreement to it. Even if we are unable to believe in a future for ourselves, we can trust that it will be given to us. And that speaks to me now. And, you know, my parents are not dead. They did not die, but in a very real way, the people that I knew, the parents who raised me, the adults who were companions and advisors 
in my adulthood are gone. Their bodies are there. Their new personalities are there. But a lot of what they were is, is not there. And a lot of what they were is still there, but it's there in a different way. And it's, it's sometimes hidden. And what I have learned in this program is that when things change, and when I am grieving those changes, that I will come okay. You know, things won't go back to the way they were, but I will be okay. I picked a bunch of September songs for this episode, and the first one, the one that, that jumped out at me when I started thinking about September is by Green Day, Wake Me Up When September Ends. And the lyrics here, just like, man, they, they just speak to me right now. Summer has come and passed. The innocent can never last. Wake me up when September ends. So that first verse, it's like, things are changing. Things are ending. I don't like it. I'm going to sleep for a month. You know, I wish I could. I can't. I wish I could. Like my father's come to pass, seven years has gone so fast. Wake me up when September ends. Here comes the rain again, falling from the stars, drenched in my pain again, becoming who we are. As my memory rests, but never forgets what I lost. Wake me up when September ends. And the last verse says, like my father's come to pass, 20 years has gone so fast. Wake me up when September ends. And I think, for me, I might say 60 years has gone so fast. Wake me up. I am awake. The program helps me to stay awake. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Well, you heard a lot of it. Um, I, I said I was going to talk about the meeting I went to on Monday. Normally, when we're visiting, my parents were there over a weekend, and Friday is often the day when we go to a meeting, and it's it's a familiar meeting to me. I've been there a number of times now. It's a small meeting, and well, what I came to realize on Monday is that the meeting's not as healthy as some others, that Friday meeting. It's a small meeting, and often people are talking about the pain in their lives. They're not talking about the recovery in their lives, but it still is helpful. But the the Monday meeting is one that's much larger, although on that Labor Day Monday, it was, oh, I don't know, a dozen or so people. But the the meeting just felt a lot more recovery-focused than pain-focused. My wife, after we left, she comes with me to Al-Anon meetings when we're visiting my parents. I think she feels she needs that more than she needs her program during those visits. And she said, that was a really good meeting. And that sort of made me realize, like, yeah, the, the Friday meeting is, is, it's a meeting, but it's, it's not a really good meeting. Um, but at the, the meeting, it was a reading, I think it was the reading from Courage to Change for September 4th, talked about control. It talked about a lot of things, and actually one of the interesting things about the meeting was the different ways in which people in the meeting heard it. I heard it as, I need to control it. I feel that I need to be in control of other people. And I talked about that. And I talked about some situations that had come up recently where I was feeling that need to control and how it was affecting me. It was really helpful because it it illuminated for me some stuff that's going on at work that I don't know if I need to make amends for it, but I definitely need to make some change in the way I'm reacting. So it was a good meeting. And then uh, well, the week the week was back to work. Um, not much to say there, I think. Saturday, I would have gone. I normally would go to my, my Saturday morning meeting. I missed, missed two in a row now because of 
other events being gone. And then Saturday morning, instead of going to my meeting, I went to a teacher training at church because I'm going to be teaching. And it's always helpful to to get some recentering, to meet with my fellow teachers for the seventh grade, to be able to make some plans uh, and uh, and to hear, re-hear maybe, or hear again, or hear anew ideas about being a better teacher. And being a better teacher in a context that is different from the normal school context. You know, we don't have tests, we don't have grades, we don't have evaluations. We're there to to help guide the, the children and youth in the program in their own exploration of what they understand about the world and about their spirituality. It's a different sort of thing. So that was good, but I missed my meeting. Sunday, I went to my Sunday night meeting. Sort of, I don't know what I was hoping for. Um, I sat down at the table I usually sat at and sit at, and there were four newcomers to the meeting. So we read step one, and one of the one of my fellows at the table picked up the newcomer's pamphlet. I forget exactly what it's what it's called. It used to be we had a packet that had a bunch of separate little pamphlets and flyers in it, and now now it's all been put into one pamphlet that has bound in, I think, a couple of bookmarks. I think there's the Just for Today bookmark, and I forget the other one. But at the beginning, there's a section said what we did, what we did for our alcoholics, what we did for to try to fix it or something. I forget the exact title, but it has this long list of things that many of us have done or might have done, might have felt. And and I picked that up and I was like, oh, this, 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 this. So as part of my share, I just very quickly read through the list of things that I did before I came to program, which included things like we loved them, we hated them, we were afraid they would die, we wanted them to die. And those those were all true for me. Hard to say, but true. So I don't know if it was exactly what I needed, but it was a good meeting. Upcoming, uh, Eric texted me this weekend and said, hey, have we talked about enabling recently? I think the last episode was like a long time ago, and there's only one. And I said, no, let's do it. Well, he said, let's do it. And I said, okay, next week. So all things being equal, next week we'll be talking about enabling. So we welcome your thoughts, your experience, strength, and hope on enabling. How have you enabled? How do you how do you understand what enabling is? How do you know when you're enabling versus, you know, supporting, helping? Just your experience, strength, and hope on the topic of enabling. I'd love to love to share whatever you might have. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email. And you can do that. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now if you want. The uh, operator, as it will, is standing by. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, but I love to hear your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Again, share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of a meditation on September or any of our upcoming topics, including enabling. Our website, therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode and links to the music we talk about. Therecovery.show slash contact has the phone number, the voicemail button, the email address, and information about other ways in which you can contribute your voice to the show. Before we look at the mailbag, we're going to take another short break in the second musical selection, which is available on the website at therecovery.show slash 260, is September Song, as sung by Willie Nelson. This one, again, speaks to me, speaks to my situation. Oh, it's a long, long while from May to December, but the days grow short when you reach 
September. When the autumn weather turns leaves to flame, one hasn't got time for the waiting game. Oh, the days dwindle down to a precious few. September, November, and these precious days I'll spend with you. I would like to be able to spend the precious remaining days as many as possible with my parents, because I know they will be gone. You know, live in the moment. They're not dead yet. Don't make them be dead yet in in my head. These precious days I'll spend with you. Well, what did, what did you have to say this week? Sherry wrote with a topic idea. I appreciate the recovery show beyond words. Each podcast that I listen to, I find something I can relate to. I also find wisdom and strength in your show. Thank you for your commitment to help others. I want to suggest a topic, but I don't know quite how to word it. One of my biggest struggles is living in the middle. I struggle with the life in between my addict adult son and my normie husband, not my son's father. I'm a double winner in both programs. I don't know which is hardest today watching my son struggle with sobriety and newly diagnosed bipolar, or trying to help my husband understand why alcoholics, addicts, and addiction do what they do. I am tired. It's an awful place to be. I don't want to be on anyone's side, and I don't want to be in the middle. I hope that makes sense. Thanks for all you do, Sherry. Well, first thing I say, keep coming back. And this, you know, talk to your sponsor, right? I'm not your sponsor, but maybe, maybe it's not your job to make your husband understand why addicts do the things they do. Maybe, maybe he needs to, you know, hit, hit, a, hit, a, hit an emotional bottom and bring himself to recovery rather than trying to work a recovery program for him. I don't know, um, but that's a thought that occurs to me. Kathy sent us a share that was inspired by the Family of Our Dreams episode, which was number 54. Hi, Spencer and team. This is Kathy H. from California. This is my second time sharing and my first time calling in. I wanted to share on the Family of Dreams episode 54, I think it is. My perspective of Family of Dreams is a little bit different than what was shared um, with with the group. So when I think of the Family of My Dreams, I was married for, I'm in the middle of my divorce now, I was married for almost 18 years and there was emotional abuse and sadly domestic violence involved in that relationship. And what I learned is that I was very much in denial and I had that glass castle in the sky. I had that family of my dreams, which really helped the denial Things would cycle up and down, and for a while it would be great and fun and happy, and then that ugly side would always come up, but then it would go away and seem like it was all better, and I can't even count the number of times that I went back to that family of my dreams. Oh, now it's all fine. Now it's great. So that was before my recovery. I've been in Al-Anon for about a year and a half. I'm done with denial. I'm done with walking on eggshell stuff. So for me, the family of my dreams was that unrealistic vision of thinking that all the ugly stuff would just go away. And actually one thing that I did kind of early in my recovery, 
I heard that magic castle in the sky shared in a meeting and that really touched me. I actually painted what my actual reality was and then like what's my own personal version of my magic castle in the sky and what I ended up painting after kind of thinking it through was not a house or something that it's just like love and warmth. So I painted this kind of heart floating with like a string that I could just reach out of the brambles and grab hold to if I could just see that it's there and there's my version of it in my recovery. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much for continuing to support this podcast. It's incredibly helpful. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing that experience and for that that great explanation of how you viewed the family of your dreams. I'm sure that somebody else listening out there will identify with that and maybe see their life in new clarity. Thank you. Alyssa writes, Hi guys, I would first like to start by thanking you. Thank you for making me feel less alone in this world that alcoholism of a loved one has seemingly trapped me in. Thank you for making me feel a little more in control of my own mind and that I haven't completely lost it. As far as I can tell, that you all know. It really feels that way sometimes. I'm a new subscriber to your podcast. Thank the heavens for one random commenter in Reddit's Elanon group. I plan to post your podcast on there soon for all the subreddit subscribers that have not yet found you. I've been trying to play catch up, and I feel it may take a while as you guys have been killing it for some time now. I'm currently on episode 17, but I just don't want to miss out on a thing, so I've been listening in order of the episodes. First, after your episode on letting go, what is your experience, if any, as a believer in your higher power, but knowing full well that your qualifier has no such beliefs? How can I truly let go and trust that my qualifier is in good hands when he believes in no higher power? This is something I struggle with each time I pray for him and his addiction. Also, would you recommend listening to the new episodes as they become available, in addition to playing catch-up with all previous episodes? Thanks so much again. Can't even say it enough. Peace and mucho amor, Alyssa. Thank you, Alyssa, for writing, and thank you for sharing the I Well, yeah, I would not have thought of, of sharing it in Reddit. I didn't even know there was an Alan on Reddit, or subreddit, whatever. Reddit's not a place I go very often. Um, maybe I should. And you're not going to hear this, but I will respond by email. Uh, I would, of course, recommend listening to the recent episodes as well as the old episodes. I understand the desire to uh, to to take it in order. Letting go. So when I came to the program, and I think I probably said this in the episode, but when I came to the program, I did not have a concept of, of a higher power to whom I could let go, but I knew I had to let go because my hanging on my grasp, my clinging with claws to trying to control my wife's alcoholism was destroying my serenity, was just, was was making my life unmanageable. I had to let go. And so I just let go. I told myself, let go. I didn't didn't know to what, if anything, to whom, if anybody, I was letting go. I was just letting go because it wasn't mine to do. The understanding that I have now is, you know, I have a higher power who guides me. And I have to believe that my loved ones have higher powers who guide them, whether they believe in them or not. There you go. T 
left a comment on Mary Pearl T's Step 1 presentation. That was episode 259. T wrote, I don't feel there's anything humorous regarding animal cruelty. I find this talk disturbing and not indicative of the principles of any 12-step support group. In that episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, she talks about her anger, her rage at a cat that was as she saw it, destroying her beautiful flower bed and the steps that she took to try to get this cat to stop doing that. I didn't see it as promoting animal cruelty. I saw it as a confession of, look at how crazy I get. Look at how crazy I can get when I'm not living in the principles of program. Look at how powerless I was over my reaction to this essentially trivial thing that was happening. That's the way I read that episode. There was some laughter from the audience. Um, you know, we laugh in Elanon meetings, sometimes at horrible things. And one of the reasons we laugh is that maybe we can see ourselves there. We laugh to relieve tension. Those are my thoughts. I know I've done things in my life that I am not at all proud of. And the program tells me I need to talk about those things. That's step five. I need to share those things with at least one other person. Tanya commented on episode 258 about perspective. I've been listening to the show for many months, and this is the first time I'm writing in. I recently listened to the episode about perspective. You gave examples of sudden awareness. I experienced this at my very first Elanon meeting over a year ago. The topic was truth. I was very fortunate that it resonated with me so much that I've been attending biweekly meetings for over a year now. What I came to understand at that meeting is that I had been denying my own truth throughout my 25-year marriage. I knew that my husband was an alcoholic, but as long as he denied it, I told myself that I was crazy. I was in so much denial that when my children repeatedly asked me if daddy was drunk, I told them that he was tipsy because I thought that was less scary than a drunk father. The awareness that I could trust my own truth has been transformational. I don't know if you've ever done an episode on truth, and I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I appreciate all the work that you and your co-hosts put into each podcast. Thank you for your service. God bless, Tanya A. Thank you, Tanya, and thank you for that idea. Um, truth. What is truth? What is our truth? How do we recognize truth? All kinds of good questions there. What questions would you ask us to think about if we were doing an episode on truth? Write, write or call and let us know. CMW commented about powerlessness. No one is powerless that has free will. Having said that, we can empower ourselves by accepting that we cannot control everything and everybody, and we do have a tendency to do the wrong thing. Absolutely. You know, step one does not say we're powerless over everything. Step one says that we're powerless over alcohol. And when I extend step one, it means that I can recognize when I'm powerless, because then that gives me the power to see what I can do. Bianca asks a question. Hello, I've recently happened to cross your podcast and I'm so appreciating the discussions. There is a lot to learn. Since you have so many episodes, I was wondering if you might have any in mind that you could suggest given any si my situation or else offer it as a new potential topic to explore. I'm in a relationship with a wonderful human who happens to be in recovery from drug addiction two, and two plus years. I know a fair amount about substance abuse, substance use and addiction from education and social work, etc., However, what I would most love to hear from an expert who dated someone already in recovery and what their experience was like, how they decided on whether to stay with them long-term, etc. 
Most stories I hear are about people who have been in a relationship during active drug use. What about an Al-Anon approach or experience of being with someone in recovery? Thanks so much. Take care. The two co-hosts with whom I started the recovery show, uh, Swetha and Kelly, I believe both came to Al-Anon because they were in a relationship with a recovering alcoholic or addict. Um, so you might go back and listen to those early episodes and uh, as they share their experience, strength, and hope on that. I started uh, with Tom a sometime series of episodes where one Al-Anon can come in and share their story. Um, so maybe if you're sitting out there and you have experience that you would like to share, maybe you are in a relationship with a recovering addict or alcoholic, you started dating them when they were in recovery, and you'd like to share how the, how the program has helped you in that relationship, uh, let me know. You know, send an email, drop a voicemail, and I'll get you on. Thanks, Bianca, for the idea. The last song I picked is Pale September by Fiona Apple. Again, this it captures this idea that, that something's ending and something's beginning. But as the embers of the summer lost their breath and disappeared, my heart went cold and only hollow rhythms resounded from within. But then he rose, brilliant as the moon in full, and sank in the burrows of my keep and all my armor falling down in a pile at my feet, and my winter giving way to warm. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.